Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the That Sounds Fun podcast. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and today is a special one. Y'all have known it's been coming for a couple of weeks. We've been giving you the heads up that we are going to talk about what it is like to write a book. For starters, as always, our friend Ellie Holcomb is singing to us in the background, and I hope you've gotten her newest album, Red Road. So here's what I want to tell you about writing a book. For starters, I am just one author. There are a ton of them that are way better than me, have way more experience than me, and could give you way better wisdom than me. But this is just my experience I'm going to share about today. Currently, we have two projects in the works. And so if you've watched on Instagram or Twitter and I want to kind of distinguish the two of them for you. We have one project that comes out in October that I'm going to get to tell you about really soon that we are in the editing process for that. And then we have another brand new book that comes out June of 2018, summer of 2018. And that is what I'm in the first couple of days of writing and really like the first little season of writing. So we thought long and hard, who is the special guest that we need to have to kind of have a conversation with me, kind of do the interviewee part, ask me the questions that you guys have submitted over the last few weeks about writing a book. And who better than my dear assistant, Eliza? You guys know and love her from my Instagram story. She is the most famous Insta celebrity I know. People adore her and I adore her. She's a wonderful and such a great person to work with, such a good friend. And I thought, man, she's the perfect one to kind of look through your questions, pull out the ones that she knows a lot of people are asking and sit down together and talk about it. So we did that just last week in Atlanta. We sat down, we were both there. We sat down with the microphone between us and had a conversation about what my process is like for writing a book, how to get started, where we are with this new one and what it is really like to kind of go from dreaming of writing a book to actually sitting down and doing it to seeing the book come out and be released into the hands of other humans. So again, I don't know everything. Are we friends enough that you believe me that I am just doing the very best I can with a job that I've only had for about five years? I've been writing for 11, but doing it full time for five. And so just want to say that again, I'm just doing the best I can. And hopefully this will be helpful for you if you're interested in writing a book. And again, we might try to do this again before the book is finished. And so if you have follow-up questions after you hear today's conversation with Eliza, please just let me know and we will try to hit those next time around. So here is Eliza's conversation with me, my conversation with Eliza. Here's me and Eliza sitting down and talking about what it is like to write books. All right, Eliza, you ready? I'm so ready. Okay, we're going to do this. So for people who don't know you, give us a three-sentence bio. Wow. Well, I'm Eliza. I'm Annie F. Down's assistant. I travel mm. with her near and far. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I love fun things. So that's why you work here. Obviously. Yeah. Eliza, what's the worst part about traveling with me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Because we do it about three weekends a month. Oh, I actually have discovered this this year. The worst part for me uh-huh. is unpacking my suitcase. Oh, so it doesn't even involve me. I thought you no. were really ready to... No, it doesn't involve you. It involves unpacking my suitcase and uh-huh. needing to get the laundry done before the next trip. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my friend Jeff Pardo, who used to travel with Matthew West, taught me a trick. I think I've said it to you before. That literally, when I come home from a trip immediately I unpack. Like if I land at midnight, I unpack and I don't start washing clothes till the next day. But I mean, my suitcase is put away before I eat dinner, before I get in bed, anything. Do you do that? Well, since about March, that's been my new conclusion I had to, because I had like a three week overlap where I had two suitcases going (gasps) Oh, and I never got them unpacked fully because I just kept half packing and then unpacking. Right. And I went crazy. So now I have to unpack it and put it in the closet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. My my suitcase goes away into the suitcase holder, mm-hmm. as I call it. It's a little part of my hallway. And I have a travel bag that yeah. I never unpack. So I have, like, my regular toothbrush and those things, they get to stay in my bathroom. Sure. And then my other travel things, so I don't have to think about repacking that. Oh, anymore. that's smart. I don't do mm-hmm. that. I should do that. I should mm-hmm. do, like, a travel bag, as you call it. My cosmetic bag, actually. L.L. <laughs> Bean. It's very Maine of you. It's very Maine of you. As a woman who has formerly lived in Maine. I did. Well done. Now you live in Georgia, mm-hmm. but we work together almost every day. 
Thanks to Slack. This episode is brought to you by Slack. I wish that was true. Dear Slack. Dear Slack, <laughs> listen to us. We Sponsor are this podcast. We are you. your people who use you liberally. We love Slack. I love it more than you do, I think. You're kind I, of a Google Docs kind of girl. I love Google Docs, but they have a good partnership. So yeah. I feel like the closer friends they've become, the closer friend I have become with Slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so writing the new book. Do you have any – here's an interesting thing because you have processed this book a little bit with me on the road as we're planning it and starting to write it. So you know more than I probably do even about the book. But if as you're going, if you have questions – that you'd like answered, Eliza, besides our friends who have submitted them. Are we going to get through all these from people? <laughs> oh, boy. I think, well, the fun thing about these questions is there's a good bit of overlap. Okay. So some, there's some themes. Mm-hmm, there are yeah. some themes. Okay. Yes. All right. Let's party. Let's do this. This is about how to write a new book or how you write books. So our first question is from Jessica. Hi, Jessica. And she wants to know, how do you decide what your next book will be about and what you'll focus on? Well, that's a great question. So historically so far I have you know for me with mine mine are kind of different than some of my friends who write some of my friends who write pick like a topic and want to run hard after that topic I kind of more look at my life and whatever is actually going on in my life it ends up being what I write about but luckily like right now I'll write about a very when I really dig into this book I will write about God's, well, here's what the new book is about to some degree, at least as far as I understand it, is about God's provision and how he shows up for us and what his kindness looks like. And there's a real living and active story in my life, a couple of them where God's displaying that. And so I'm writing that that feels really fresh right now, but in a year and a half when it comes out, it will, it'll, I'll be a little more removed from it, which is, you know, a little bit of wisdom. You don't want to be writing what you're living exactly when you're living it. And so, so that's how I always pick what I'm going to write about is kind of like what I'm living, what I sense. Well, obviously there's the like over, I never, is it overarching or overarching? I think it depends on where you're from. I say overarching. And that is because you're from Maine. They say that in the North. I don't know. An arch. It, Cause it's like an archway in a city. Right. But like an arc. Noah. I, <laughs> I don't picture Noah. I picture like a rainbow arc. Like that uh, kind of arc, an, a sky level arc. And I picture an archway. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. Wow. So the overarching arcing theme, I would think, is is figuring out, for me, for my writing, where do you see God moving in your life? Where have you seen God moved in your, move in your life? Because that's, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Is, is there something that God has put on your heart that's really matters to you to share? Mm-hmm. And is there a story? Because the revelation says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb that we have no control over, but Jesus already did, and the word of our testimony, right? So we're meant to share our stories. And so some there are some people who write academically, and it's incredible. And Barnabas Piper, like that's his life, right, is dealing with academic writers. That's not my life. But my life is the stuff I write are the stories that God kind of has me living thematically. And you've, Eliza, you've seen this very up close and personal that like when I am working on a book or working on a big project like that, it feels like these themes kind of bubble up without my permission, even in a lot of ways. And I just have to start noticing them and seeing them. So that's mostly how I pick what I'm going to write about. What's the Lord have on my heart? What's happening in my life? What are stories that I want to tell? What are stories I don't want to tell? Because there are a lot of those that I choose not to tell uh, because of the other people in them, because of um, my personal line and decision of what stays private and what isn't private anymore. And what the other people in my life want to remain private and like that. And yeah, I think that's how I pick. Kind of whatever sounds fun to me, too. If it sounds fun, because writing a book can be kind of, it has always been brutal at some point. But um, each book has had its own set of brutality that I've experienced while writing it, which I'm really looking forward to this summer. That's why I'm going to dye my hair, that galaxy. Oh, I know you are. I know. I've been looking at pictures for weeks. I know. It's because it's going to be my my way to get out of the pain of writing this book. Well, it's interesting you say that because Melissa asked us a question that kind of picks apart what you just described. 
And she said, there's a lot of things happening that I want to write about in a certain season of my life, but I'm struggling to land on the overarching theme. Yeah. So I've been praying and thinking through my story, asking God to clarify. Yeah. So her question is, have you ever started with a story before figuring out why it was important for people to hear? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is for sure true. And also I think... I think the best thing you can do is start writing and see what happens. I mean, like we have the whole book outlined on the wall of my office, but I know I've done this enough that I know that that's not the book that's going to come out, right? I know that I'm going to start writing and something's going to start happening and I'm going to see the book transform and change and it will be different than what I set out to do. But I will start by writing the stories that I know. So yeah, that's exactly. And you pray for God's clarity and wisdom and direction as you're going, as you're writing and watch what comes out and pay attention to what comes out. Yeah. A lot of people do want to know about that beginning process. Yeah. So what does it look like for you to start writing a book? Yeah. So for me, this time we had a deadline before I kind of dreamed up the book because the looking for lovely, kind of the whole deal with looking for lovely was that that was the first book and there was a second book. Uh, that's how a lot of publishers work is a two book deal. And so we knew that there, we being me, you, my agent, Lisa, big ups to Lisa, who we love. Um, and my publisher, Lifeway, who I also love, that, or MBNH, we knew that there was another book coming. When it was time to start thinking about the book, really what I just did for the beginning of this is I just started paying attention to what was going on. I was like, okay, I know this is book writing season. What's God doing? What did he do in the last year? What did he do in the last six months? What is What has he done that surprises me or that is different than I thought it would be? So I start watching that. I start asking people, what, what do you want to be reading? Is there something that no one is writing about that you're interested in? Or is there something that somebody wrote about a long time ago that you love that book? I look at what other people are reading. I look at what other people are writing. An interesting thing that happens a lot, I saw it when... Um, Wild and Free released by Jess Connolly and Haley. And when the two of them released that book, it was about, it's about freedom. And there was a lot of books right then about freedom. And I saw them talking about it online. And the thing is, the amazing thing is that the whole season of books on freedom was not people copying each other. It was God speaking a theme over the culture of people who read all those books, right? So there was this theme of freedom. I feel honored that I was a part of this little theme of courage, right? With let's all be brave. And there, there are these themes that kind of pull out right now. There's a real theme about friendship between women, it is in a couple of different books, Craving Connections, Unfriended, or Never Unfriended, Uninvited by Lisa Turkhurst. You know, there's just a, a collection, Lisa Joe's books and, Le- and Lisa Turkhurst books release around the same time because there's this like God theme that's happening. And so I'm trying to pay attention to that. Like what's the next God theme that he wants our friends to hear and to know? And so the beginning, so I outlined first, I big time outlined first, like my agent and I, as you'll recall, Eliza, you were there too. We went to California in January and just got in an Airbnb, two bedroom Airbnb and like just went to town outlining on the walls, put sticky notes and Sharpies and big, huge, those big size sticky notes and just wrote down every story that I thought could possibly need to be in the next book. Pretty much the some of the main stories that have happened in my life since I turned in looking for lovely, which was at the end of 2015. Yeah. 15. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened in my life in, in most of 15 and 16. And then, so then we put all those on sticky notes. Then we kind of organize them. We throw away some, we add more. And so that's what I do first is the outline. And then you just start writing. I use Scrivener instead of Word. And so you just start writing and just kind of see what happens the goal is 60,000-ish words, 50 to 60,000 words. And so for me, that looks like what my calendar will have is every day I write 1,000 words for 60 days. And if that takes me an hour, I write for an hour and then I go lay by the pool. No, I don't really go lay by the pool. I answer emails for you and I do work. that You're like, Annie, you will not go to the pool. Get it done. <laughs> I'm a to-do list queen. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... Well, you were you were already with us when I was writing, looking for lovely, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've already survived one book writing season with me. I sure have. I only made one really bad impression, first impression with somebody during that book writing season, during looking for lovely, and so hopefully we'll be better behaved this time around, or I'll be wiser about when I go in public and when I don't, because I had like written my guts out that day and then went to a 
a birthday party I shouldn't have gone to. But anyway, I just couldn't remember if you were already there. Well, I was not at the birthday party. No, no, no. <laughs> but I was in your life. Yeah, you were already working when mm-hmm. I wrote Let's yeah. All Looking for Lovely. But not Let's All Be Brave. No, you had just released Let's All Be Brave. When you started working, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, right, so, so with the new one now, so for the next 60-ish days, 60 working days, I'll do, um, I, I, we won't be on the road anymore. You and I go to Oklahoma or actually this is coming out the weekend after Oklahoma. So we just went to Oklahoma where the wind blows free. (laughs) And next weekend we go to Alaska, Alaska, Anchorage. We're coming for you. If you are anywhere near Anchorage and you want to come hang out at a women's conference, bring your polar bears, bring your parka. Yes. Bring us a dog sled. I know the snow is gone. Um, are you sure? Do you know that? I do. It's going to be approximately 60 degrees. We are entering at the peak of tourist season. Oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's great. So if you're in Anchorage, come see us May 5th and 6th, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. You can find all that information on my website, anniefdowns.com. But anyway, after we're done traveling that, I'm pretty much done traveling for the season, for the summer, because I'm going to be writing a book pretty full time. So that's what the beginning looks like. The beginning looks like just outlining and I'll start the stuff I've written so far are the easy stories that I know that are going to be in the book. And so I just kind of start getting words down. And then we'll worry about putting them in the right order and getting them worked out in a couple of months. So how did you discover that about yourself that your timeline was about a thousand words for 60 days? Because every author does it a little bit different, right? Right. Because a lot of people will write for eight hours and whatever comes out in eight hours is what they do. Or some people want a lot less time. Some people want a lot more time. I am really good at really at having a real disciplined schedule. Mean not meaning I'm good at it, meaning I'm really good at doing my job if I'm very I have a very disciplined schedule. And so I learned that with Speak Love. Speak Love, I had to get I had to write Speak Love really fast and um to turn around for the publisher. And so I had to be really disciplined and I was like, you have to sit here and write a thousand words today. And it just doesn't matter. That's two blog posts. You can, if you do a blog post before you go to bed at night, you can easily do two blog posts sitting here. It's really easy for like the first 15 days. And then it's brutal because you don't know what's supposed to be next in the book and you aren't sure where it's going and you don't want to tell that story. And it, it, for me, it gets a whole lot worse after the second, during the second act, if you will, the second part of the book. Um, But yeah, for me, I, I, if I just say, oh, I got to finish a book by so-and-so, it it doesn't ever happen. But if I go, okay, I need, I got to do a thousand words. It, and it also helps me go like, okay, that means that by my birthday, July 7th, 2017, I will have 45 of the 60,000 words written. That's great. I'll actually probably have way more than that. I'll probably have 55 of the 60,000 words written. And that's crazy to think about. They're like, by the summer. So soon. Right? So I made an appointment at the dentist or at the... Oh, no. Uh, I, it was when I spoke at the well in Nashville last week's a group of women from Kentucky had come down and they said, oh, you're coming to our church in September. And I said, in September, I'll have this book already written and I don't even know what it's about yet. <laughs> so it's weird stuff like that. I think that's fascinating. So um, so that's how I figured it out for me is I did a lot of trial and error of like, oh, I didn't write anything today, but I sat here for eight hours. And that doesn't work for me. It works a lot better for me if I have like word limits that I have to hit. And if I go over, awesome, keep going. If I'm like totally motivated and inspired and I knock out 2,500 in a day, that's awesome. Because I know that there will be three or four days that I can't get to 1,000. So the days that I want to keep going, I will go as hard and as long as I can and to be kind to myself on the days when I can't. So what would you say to somebody that's trying to figure out their own timeline, but they don't know their work style? Yeah. So I would say, don't be on a deadline. Don't, don't, if you're there and you have a book deal, you're, you're probably in a little bit of trouble or you got to get to work. Instead, I would hope that maybe for your first project, do something downloadable, something you can print yourself, a PDF, something that a project you can ship as Seth Godin says to ship it, a project you can finish, but you get to kind of test and learn yourself. Um, and say, okay, you know, this project, if I'm going to do a 30-day devotional, it probably needs to be 15,000 words long if you do 500 words a day, right? Did I do that math right? 30, you're so fast at math. Yeah, why? 
Yeah. Oh, you did. You did it at lunch. I'm going to do 30 this. times 500 is 15,000. Yeah. yeah. And so if you do 15,000 words, that's great to go like, okay, did I, did I want to write one devotional day? When I did the speak love revolution, it was, it's 30 days and I did one a day. So I wrote 500 words a day and then did other work around the company and stuff we need to get done. Um, but there are time, but there are other times when I went, okay, a thousand words a day. So it kind of depends on the project as well a little bit. So I think you trial and error. You go, okay, I'm going to write for four hours and get everything out. I also think when you're starting, starting, like when you, and I've done this with the new book, um, you just word vomit as much as you can. Get as many of your stories out. Get as many of the words out. Don't worry about the order. Get a word document folder and just drop every story. Give each story its own document. Drop every story in that folder and write until you seriously are out of words and then take those 20 stories and read them and figure out why they fit together and what they mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. It, it reminds me of this phrase I've heard you use a lot where uh-huh. you say, I just need to prime the pump. Yeah. 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 So I'd love to hear you talk about that. Cause Lauren asked, what do you do when you write and you're out of words? Yeah. Um, I don't ever run out of words. Seth Godin also said to me one time, um, writer's block is a myth because you never get talker's block. If you and I are sitting at a table, you and I are not going to run out of things to say if there's another question to ask. I mean, there's awkward silences, but you can pretty much work it out. So for me, priming the pump means that I ask myself questions. How would you tell yourself? What story would you tell yourself right now if you could tell yourself a story? Um, Not a lie, not like a falsehood. What lie would you tell yourself right now? Um, No, what story would you tell? What story would you tell yourself? who say verbally and record yourself. A lot of times I do that. If I'm in the car and an idea comes to me, I'll start my phone recording and I'll say, okay, what, uh, here's what I would like to do with this, but I think this part needs to move from here to there. And I want to tell this story of when I went to this restaurant, here's what I ate. There's pictures in this certain folder on your phone, blah, 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 like that. And so verbally doing it helps me a lot too. I go on walks. Like I'll just, stand up from the computer and go do a lap around my neighborhood to kind of prime the pump just to get, get if your hands stop, but your mind keeps going, I tend to find more words that way. Mm-hmm. And some days you just have to stop writing. You didn't get writer's block. It's just time to stop. It's different. I just do not let myself believe in writer's block. It's just not an option. I can stop writing and come back tomorrow, but I'm not blocked because I'm a writer. I'm not going to get blocked from that. I don't get talker's block as Seth Godin says. So I'm not going to get writer's block either. I'm just going to keep working or stop working until tomorrow. I love that. Is that weird? No, I think that's really good. I think it's such like a mindset shift that is is more specific to yourself. And I think that's really cool to try to figure out because it's with that concept of like, you just don't give up because you know what you're called to do. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. What? How do you prime the pump when you're right? Because you do writing and teaching as well. What? Do you- yeah, I mean... My favorite thing I've heard people say is is exactly what you said of you just you just keep doing it until something good comes out. Yeah. So you just yeah. you just say a lot of words or like for me I get inspired by doing something artistic. So yeah. I love to do watercolor to relax. Right. So if I actually needed to get something done but I'm distracted then I'll go walk or I'll yeah. paint a little bit or yeah. just do something that's still creative. Yeah, yeah. I, I really believe in that too. And I believe in put, writing words that don't matter and don't make it in the book, right? Like if I'm at 850 words and I've written for eight hours and I've got to get to my 1,000, I will spend 150 words describing what I'm going to eat for dinner so that I hit my number and I'll get up and go eat dinner. And then the next day when I sit down, I delete those 150 <laughs> words and I start right there. Right. And, but, but I hit that thousand every day and you're right. I mean, I, I just, I don't quit anymore. Mm. I mean, I just don't, or I try not to at least. I do quit sometimes. I am sometimes a quitter. You know, so Caroline asks, is there anything fun about writing a book? I'd imagine the initial writing, putting your thoughts, your heart into words on paper would be fun. Then there's a lot of editing. Does that ruin the romance of writing? Oh yeah. There, uh, I mean, I don't know that you know, my writing, everybody's life is a little bit different. There are some authors who like go to a cabin for a weekend and light candles and remove themselves from the world and, and just dive into their writing. And that's the best thing for them. And if that's you and that's what you need is like separation, like a writer's retreat, you should totally do that. That's not how I work. 
I don't need to be away from my people. I need to be with my people. And I don't light a lot of candles and I don't like getting, get this mood going in my house or in my office, wherever, or in the coffee shop, wherever I'm writing. I just kind of start, I just kind of go for it. And so I think, I think there, there is still a romantic side to it because it's still creative and it's still flowy. And I, and for me, music drives my writing a lot. If almost like if I could put a soundtrack to each chapter, you would feel that because, and I know, like, I know the chapters of looking for lovely that I wrote to the finding Neverland soundtrack and they have that cadence. Mm. They sound like that to me. I can hear the cadence in it. And, um, and that'll be true for the new book too, that there will be songs that kind of drive the feel of the book. But no, I, I actually think a lot of it's really fun. I, I love, I love reading the book once I finished it. Cause it's a, I've said this to you before and I said this in Looking for Lovely that I think that I'm not meant to create books. I'm meant to find books that God has already prepared and I'm supposed to do something with the books I find. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm more digging up gold versus painting a picture. Right. And so, so when I'm done with the book, I'm always like, my gosh, I did not see that that was going to happen. And that's incredible. I had no idea it was going to go like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, that is, it is all fun. And the editing doesn't bother me actually. I mean, it's brutal. It's a little hard as far as like, it's just hard to read your words. I mean, I bet I read looking for lovely more than 50 times all the way through front to back. Um, and the same with Let's All Be Brave. I mean, I still haven't. I've read Let's All Be Brave maybe twice since I published it, since it came out, since Sondervan like put it on shelves. Um, but I had read it over 50 times before that. And so that's, I mean, that's just a little brutal. But you put all that hard work in because once it's done, it's done. And if you have 13,000 words misspelled of your 60, you've got a real problem, right? And and those and that really matters to me how that all pans out. And so, and then it all looks really, really good. That really matters to me. And so, so yeah, I think it's all fun. I, I think, and I think especially when you're doing a book that you feel like God is partnering with you in, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always loved that you describe it like that, that you're trying to find something uh-huh. uh, that already exists because I think it kind of speaks to the fact that each writer has a personality. Right. And so there gets to be this distinction to anybody that feels like they're supposed to write. That it's more than just like, I'm a writer. You're a writer and you know what kind of writer you are. You are like, you have this kind of persona you're able to put yeah. on. Yeah. And I think that would even, that would speak to me in the, in the writer's block. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. You can kind of visualize that. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, this has been, I've been writing, I wrote Perfectly Unique in 2006. So I've been writing books for 11 years it's been my full-time job for five years. So it's taken me a long time. And in those five years, I've written 10 books or Bible studies. Only the four have my name on them as far as books, but I've ghostwritten other books and other studies, right? And so and so I've done a lot of writing. And I say that to say I've learned me in this job. There's a lot of things that I don't do very well. And I have learned what doesn't work for me and what does work for me in the writing world because I've done it for so long. I mean, it's it's the longest job I've ever had in my 36 years on this planet. It's the job I've had the longest. And so I've really, and I do it every day. So I've really learned myself in that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Thanks. I think so. Thanks, Liza. I'll that. <laughs> I'll let you. Um, um, my favorite name on our question list is Olga. Olga. So she wants to know, how do I improve my writing skills and grammar? Is there a class I can take to help? Right, because write? she's, if I remember this question right, she's, English as a second language, which is hugely impressive to want to write Mm -hmm. in a language that was not your native language. So three chairs to you, Olga. Um, You know, the beautiful thing about editors is a lot of them catch everything that you do wrong. And so either you've signed with a publisher and you're doing traditional publishing and you have an editor as part of the deal or you're self-publishing and you're going to hire an editor. Either way, if you're working on a book, you definitely, definitely need professional eyes on it. Not just like your mom editing because she was an English teacher and not just one of your buddies editing. Though all my books get read by a handful of friends before they even go to the publisher to be edited because I want people who know me to put their spin on my 
errors, I guess, and fixed pieces. But so for her, I, I don't know like a course or something you could take, but I would say their meetup.com has tons of like fiction writers in your town that are meeting up or nonfiction writers. And it's a way to sit down with people and really kind of get your writing read. That's also writer's conferences. Whenever people tell me they want to be a writer, I tell them that you've got to go to a writer's conference. That is like the biggest deal. I mean, that's how I met my agent. That's how I met uh, my publisher. That's how I, I, my marketing, my marketing guru, the smartest marketing guy I know, Rusty Shelton, is unbelievable. His PR, his marketing brain, his, he's incredible. And I met him at a writer's conference. I took a class from him at a writer's conference and then forced him to be my friend afterwards. And so, and he's helped me with every single book. And so, you know, writer's conferences pay off like that. I went to Mount Hermon in California that I've loved. I went to that in, in like 2007 and 2008, uh, maybe even again in nine. And She Speaks, the one that Proverbs 31 puts on, is incredible. Rewrite in Austin is really good. Um, there's just tons of good writers' conferences. There's one at Yale. There's one at Harvard that I bizarrely haven't gotten invited to yet, Eliza. Why is that, Annie? Explain that to me. I'm going to call them. I'm going to call. I'm gonna add that to your to-do list. Call Harvard Yale and see why. Adam. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Didn't I? Well done. You're going to yell at them. Um, Rory would have had me. Roy Gilmore, she would have had me by now. No, but I mean, I haven't attended those either, and I need to. There's some great writing conferences up in the Northeast as well. So that's what I would say that Olga could really benefit as well. Any of us, anyone who's trying to grow their writing skill as well as their understanding of the writing a book world and process and publishing world would benefit greatly from going to writers' conferences. Okay. So Bree says, I feel this huge responsibility to tell the story of God's grace in my life through mm-hmm. writing my story. But every time I pick up a pen or my laptop, I think of all the books I've read and I start feeling so critical. I can't do that. I can't write the way they can. I have nothing to say. Did you ever doubt your ability like this? And if you did, how did you overcome it? Eliza, what do you think? Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, that is the best kind of loaded question. Right. Loaded and now I'll shoot. Um, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I was going to say now unlocked. Now unlocked. Thank you. Loaded. Unlocked? Well, it's locked and loaded, but now you're unlocking it. Sure. Okay. So for starters, of course, I mean, I think there's always doubts with everything you do, especially creatively where you think, what do I have to offer? Because the Bible actually says there's nothing new under the sun, right? So there isn't anything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new under the sun. So you know, I'm not going to write a book that has it has no ideas that already existed, right? So that's that's always going to be true. So there's side of that of her fears that are actually really legitimate to think through. As in, I don't want to write a book I've read. I don't want to write someone else's book. I don't want to tell someone else's story. I don't want to lift someone else's ideas because that's really unfair and stealing, right? So it's good to think that through when you're being critical of yourself and thinking out have anything to offer. Well, the truth is and you know this as well as I do, Eliza, the truth is that every single person has a unique story of God and how he has been there for them and taken care of them and been their strength and changed their lives. And so no matter whether your story sounds similar to someone else's or not, it doesn't matter. You need to tell your story in the way you want to tell it. Does that mean everybody needs to write books that go on bookshelves? No. Does that mean everybody needs to make YouTube videos? No. Does that mean everybody needs to write songs? No. Does that mean everybody needs to teach Sunday school or speak at events? No, it just means you have a story to tell and there is an outlet for you to tell that story. If you want it to be in the written form, there's even a lot of options of that. Do you do a blog? Do you do a podcast where you're reading your story and let people listen to it? My friend David's thinking about doing that with his novel of just going ahead and reading every chapter and then putting it out there and seeing if people like it. I think it's brilliant, right? Or you could... Publish, self-publish a book where you kind of get to have all the control and you decide what the cover looks like and you hire your own editor and and those go on Amazon just like every other book, right? Or you do a traditional publishing deal with a publisher who provides and partners with you in a lot of that. So you gain a lot and you lose a little. Like you, I don't get to just say what any of my covers look like, but I get to be in the conversation for sure. So I think that... Um, Everyone can hear those fears that they're making something that someone else has already made, but it's just not true. As long as you're not like sitting down with Sean Amiquist's, you know, cold tangerines and rewriting it, you're fine. 
you know, but I have, I mean, I have seen books that my friends have written that I see another book that someone who doesn't know my friend writes and they've lifted some of their ideas. I mean, we see it, right? We see it when people do it, when they steal our blog posts or even tweets, right? When you hijack someone else's tweet and make it your own. So that's, that's a good fear to have to make sure you're not reading someone else's ideas and making them your own in a way that presents them like, oh, I came up with this. The five five ways to be brave. They sound just like Annie Downs's, right? But I also think that that you can't hold yourself to a standard that you're going to say something that literally no one on the planet has ever said before. Because I don't. I think there's been too many people talking for too many generations for that to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something I know to be true of your life that yeah. might just feel natural but I'm in your daily life. So right. I know how surrounded you are by people. Uh-huh. And that seems to be true of your story and the things you write, that you're very quick to include other people and that that's such a safety to you mm-hmm. to not get insecure about what you're writing because yeah. you know that if you're processing with people around you that love you, you're going to be authentic. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, with I just had a, I wrote that blog post at Lent about not wearing makeup and it had, I mean, it kind of, took off a little bit, right? And as far as people sharing it and people reading it. Well, before we ever hit publish, other people read it because I just wanted to make sure it all felt true to them. Not only true scripturally, though I didn't want that, but I want it, I always want to make sure that when I tell my own story, that my friends who live it with me feel like I'm telling it truthfully. Mm-hmm. Not that I make stuff up because I don't, but but I just want to make sure the way I remember it feels as true as to me and to other people. It feels as true to other people as it does to me as best I can. And so, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Yeah. Inviting people in and letting them read portions of it. There's a writer in Idaho who I've become friends with, Heather Smith. She's amazing. And I read a bunch of her stuff before it goes out just because that worked out for us that she asked me to read some things. So I did. And, and so she has another voice kind of seeing what she's writing and it's going, ah, this sounds like, or yeah, that's incredible. Most of her stuff is just unbelievably incredible. And so uh, you need those people. That's why those meetup groups are great. That's why going to writers conferences are great. Cause some of my best writing friends that I still have and like stay at their houses when I go to their towns are from my first writers conference in Mount Hermon. That's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Okay. So Jenna, Jenna said, how did you decide on your audience? Man, isn't that interesting? How much do we talk about this? Oh, so much. Yeah, we talk about this so much because it really matters to me that I'm not just writing a book that is for me. I want to make sure I'm writing a book for people who are reading, right? And so that really matters to me. So I don't know that I decided on my audience. You know, my first three books, two books in a Bible study, were for teen girls because that's who I was around the most, right? Like when I started writing, I was perfectly unique. I wrote because I was leading a Bible study at my house for teenage girls and they wanted a resource. So it was not this like, I'm going to write a book for teenagers. It was like, okay, look, draw a circle around you. Who's standing in it? That's who you need to write a book for. And so that's how I started in writing those first few. And then as I aged and started doing college ministry instead of high school ministry, it made more sense for me to write for them. Mm. So it's kind of still the same thing, right? Like I kind of just draw a big circle around myself and see who's standing in it. Mm -hmm. And that's still what we do. You know, like you and I, this last summer, when we sat down with the interns, we spent a lot of time paying attention to who is the audience that we have and how can we best be friends with them. How can we serve them best? What does friendship look like? It's why we started doing the I found lovely hashtag. It's why we created the That Sounds Fun weekend because we we realized when we drew a circle around us, the people that were standing in it would love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's and so that's how we found our audience is I kind of just looked around to who was around us. Now, the trick is I, I had someone just the other day say to me that they were working on their first book. I said, who's it for? And they said, Christians. And I was like, well, like who? And they're like, no, all the Christians. It's for all Christians. And I was like, "Eh, you're not doing this right because you aren't trying to throw a wide net Mm -hmm. when you're coming up with your audience, when you're noticing who your audience is. What you actually want to do is be really specific and targeted. Seth Godin has a whole book called Tribes that I like live and breathe by when it comes to this because you need to know who your tribe is. And then other people will come along. If you are writing for everyone, you lose your tribe and you don't keep the people. So so we 
have worked really hard to know who our tribe is at Downs Books, right? And we know exactly who it is, who we're writing for, who we're talking to, and they show up in droves because we talk to them. They know we're we're talking to the people that we drew a circle around. And so that that's how I, I think that's the best way to find your audience is look at who is already there. Now, if there's no one there, when I started Perfectly Unique, there was no one there. I just looked at my real life. Who was I with the most? So who are you with the most? My friend Sunny Shea does this. She did it amazingly just this week. She said, she's a mom of three young kids. She's an incredibly good writer. And she said, moms, what do you need? Like, what do you have time to read? What do you need? What do you want someone talking about? Because she realized like when she drew a circle around her life, everyone in that circle are moms of young, with young kids. And she wants to write for them because that's who's around her. So I think that would be the trick is figuring out who's already around you and write for them. So Jenna also asks, how many drafts do you make before you're actually done? She hates rewriting and scrapping any work. So she's frustrated by this. So I write one full draft and I don't throw away any of it. Usually Um, I write the whole thing, organize it, get it the way I want it to. Um, I, I, I mean, I've pulled out stories. I have like two chapters from Looking for Lovely that didn't make it in the book. Um, and so every book is a little bit different like that. But I don't like write drafts. I just write a draft and work on it, work on it, work on it, and then turn it into my second, that group of friends, my first round of editors that I pay personally for, and, until I give it to the publisher. Let them do a run on it. I go through and fix. So that would be two rounds. Then my publisher and I probably go back and forth cool. There's a printer in the room with us and it's just starting to print. What's, what's going to come off the printer? I think it's going to print a Pokemon coloring page. <laughs> you think it's, it's going to print a Pokemon coloring page? I actually do. Oh my gosh. I hope you're right. Go get it. Let's see. This is really incredible. Oh, no, it's tickets Braves. to the Braves game. Hot Lana. Oh, wow, wow. We're going to the Braves game. Going to the Braves. Cheering for my pal Dansby Swanson. Shortstop. Two tickets are up for grabs, anybody. Someone's going the Braves game. Um, Okay, sorry. So draft. So first draft is me writing myself. Second round, I call them rounds instead of drafts. Second round would be me and the editors and friends that I hire and pay. And then we probably do three full rounds with the publisher. So I bet there's, I bet each book gets five solid rounds of editing in first draft plus four rounds of editing. And then in that each time, and before I turn the book in the very first time, like to even to my friends, I write the whole thing. I edit it in the computer. I print it out. I edit it, print it out. I print it out again and I read it out loud to myself. So that's at least three rounds with just me that I do for every book. That spells motivation. (laughs) Yeah, that spells, I don't want to make mistakes on books. That's what it spells. (laughs) So, so Denon, uh, sounds like she's a little bit further along in the book writing process. Oh, cool. And so she wants to know how is she supposed to learn about what to be compensated or advanced in royalties? Oh, that's why you have an agent. That is exactly why you have an agent because agents can handle, and it's not just, so the job of an agent is to be the go-between communicator between the author and the publishing house. Right. And the reason agents are great are they're always the bad guy. I don't ever have to be the bad guy. I can see something that makes me sad or upset or happy. And she can communicate that with the publisher. But also it's super important because the um, because I don't know what other advances look like. I only know what my advances look like. And and so I have no idea what my friends are making. I have no idea what that particular publisher has offered where an agent sitting in an agency sees eight offers from a publisher in a day and goes like, well, wait, if those two authors are getting that kind of offer, my author Mm. should get that kind of offer as well, right? So it's real. That's that's one of the main reasons you have a publisher is because they know, I mean, what my, not a publisher, sorry. One of the main reasons you have an agent is because of everything they know, right? Like my agent, Lisa, is, you know, you love her. She's incredible. She is so wonderful. And she catches little things all the time where where it'll be a percent that will want the percent to be different or the type of paper in the book or who has the rights to the audio book or, you know, all that kind of stuff that I would never catch in a contract that's 70 pages long. And she does. And so that really matters to me. Now they get 15, sometimes 20% of your advance. 
And so a lot of times people go, oh, I don't want to give up 15% of my advance. But the truth is you're going to make way more than that 15% if you have an agent working on your behalf. And you are going to get on the backside once the book is turned in. I mean, you know, as we're editing, as we're dealing with covers, as we're coming up with future ideas, as we're thinking about ancillary products to go with the main product. I mean, all that stuff an agent helps you with. The marketing of the book, the PR hits that the book gets, all that stuff my agent is really intimately involved with, with the re- until the release of the book and even after when things happen. Looking for Love, we just got nominated for a book award um, this year. And it last year, we, if you'll recall, Do I. we lost the K-Love award to Gary Thomas. But we were nominated last year and we just got nominated for another one, Looking for Love. And they, she's who they contacted. Right. So she gets to call me and say, oh, my gosh, we're nominated for this big award. It's going to be awesome. We might win. You know, that kind of stuff. And so that's that's the main reason. So if you're trying to sort out compensation on stuff on your own, I I genuinely don't know because I I do not know that side of the market. It's not my job to know that side of the market. It's my agent's job to know that and to know if I'm being compensated fairly. And that matters to her. She wants me to be compensated fairly because she wants me to be happy. She wants to get her percent. That's a fair percent for her. She wants the publisher to feel like the publisher's getting a good author for a good deal that's highly committed to the process. And yeah, and those three things, right? Yeah, and so so I can't, so she knows, your agent knows, a good agent knows how to handle those conversations and what is fair and what isn't fair, and I just don't know. Yeah, I feel like as you're talking, I have like a billion analogies about why Lisa is just a goddess. Yes. But I just imagine it's like having somebody on a watchtower. Yes. And yeah. they're just able to overlook everything and be good at having eyes for things that yes. you're close to and your job isn't to have eyes for. Yeah. It's her job to have good eyes. That's right. That's right. Um, and then bring it to your attention. That's right. You're exactly right. Great analogy. It's like that Ellie Golding song, when I'm with you, when I'm with you, I'm standing with an army. <laughs> I don't know that, but that sounds beautiful. I do love Ellie yeah, Golding. you should listen to it. What's like it called? It. Army. Okay. <laughs> Should have known. Should have known. Army. Lisa's just wonderful. Lisa's our army. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she's just really good protective coding. I agree. Um. So same person, Denon, also asked, what advice do you think first-time authors should know? Or oh, what do you wish you would have known as a person? What do I wish I would have known that you that you most likely cannot live off of book writing and book deals? I wish I'd have known that that was not going to be for a very long time. That's not going to be your no, only source of income if you're going to make this your full time job. It's just not because they may give you a really nice number, but it probably is meant to last over three years, mm-hmm. right? So it goes down to a minimum wage paycheck pretty quickly. If it's, if it's your only full-time job. So, so I wish I'd have known that at the beginning. I don't think I realized that I, I mean, I got my first book deal and thought I can quit all my jobs. Here we go. And I don't have a husband that has a job and I don't have any other source of income. I'm not like, I don't have a massive savings account that's just waiting to be dealt with. I don't have like a Scrooge McDuck room where I can go swim in my gold coins. Right. So there's no like, there, there's no money sitting around for me to be like, yay, I can write books now. And I, luckily I have backup money. I don't, I just have the money that I bring into the company. And so I, um, and so I, at that first book deal, I thought we've done it and it doesn't last very long. I, I thought I was going to live off that thing, but off that first book deal, but then you end up giving money to the government. You give money to your agent, you pay your agent, you pay for things along the way. You, and so Book advance money at this point is nothing that I live off of. It is what we put into the company, into Downs Books Incorporated. It's what we put into the company to run the company. And then I make I live off of speaking and other products that we have created, like with Glory House. And so that is our bread and butter. And the book advances are really helpful and really necessary and make it possible for me not to work. Um, traveling and speaking in June and July, May, June, July of this year, because we've we've got a little nest egg from book advances, and that's what they're for. They're more to make space for you to write than to live off of. So I wish I'd have known that at the beginning. Um, yeah, that's probably the main thing. Yeah, that's all. That's what I wish I would have known. Is there anything else I wish I would have known? Do you remember? Is there anything that I say, 
Oh, had I only known that back then. Well, I feel like what you do is you're just constantly open to learning. Oh, thanks. And so, yeah, I feel like I feel like you let that frame a lot of the questions you ask about book writing and about how to be a better you at what you do is you don't you're not constantly expecting arrival to happen tomorrow. Right. Yeah, I'm not. And I think that gives so much grace to your process and lets you thrive because that's yeah. what I see you do. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I absolutely do not think I know everything. I've only everything I know is from trial and error. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's true with this new book. I mean, this new book is so different than anything I've ever written. You know this really well, but I feel like I'm on a train and I'm running down the tracks and the train track is being built barely ahead of where I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Usually with a book, I kind of see the front and the back and I can write the whole thing. But this one, I feel like the Lord just keeps saying like, start writing, start writing, even though you don't know how the story ends. And I'm like, no, because what if it turns and we don't know how it's going to turn? And what if the track stops being built? Or what if there's a bridge? And I remember from Hell on Wheels that bridge takes a long time to build for trains. Like, what if that happens? What do we do? And um, and so that's a that's been really different for this one. So it's a, I'm I'm learning. It's my fifth trade book to write under my own name, and I'm still have so much to learn about me and about trusting God and about what happens when you write a book and what happens to your life and what's the boundaries of what you do want to write and don't want to write. And I mean, I remember I sent a copy of perfectly unique to a guy friend of mine, right when I'd written it long before it, it, it was coming out. And as soon as I hit send on the email, I realized there were two stories I wish he would never read. And I was like, Oh, I need to probably take those out of the book then, because if I don't even want one of my best guy friends to read it, I certainly don't want a bunch of people to read it. And so that's stuff you have to learn as you go, right? And so I immediately called him. I was like, Matt, don't open that Don't open that document. Uh, it's the wrong one. I uh, sent you the wrong one. <laughs> and then I sent him the right one. Matt Wirtz, everybody. <laughs> I know, it's dumb, huh? <laughs> but it's honest. <laughs> right. So that's fine. <laughs> I think it's great because I feel like, yeah, you're just real about how you do it. And so... So Jen says, how do you keep believing in it when the process bogs you down? (laughs) Jen, that's a great question on this very day. Um, You just have to keep writing. You just have to believe that the story you're telling is, has purpose. And even if you don't understand it, and even if it doesn't, even if the train tracks don't turn the way you thought they would, you just have to keep riding, right? I, th- I think that's all I know to do today is just keep writing the story as best I understand it. Keep sitting down at my computer and pouring out my guts. Here's the beautiful thing. No one has to see your first draft. You can write an entire book that is way too personal and way too vulnerable and way too fill in the blank and you can delete it and do it again, right? What ends up happening, honestly, is you sit down, I sit down and I go, okay, I'm just going to write it. I'm just going to write it. I'm going to use real names. I'm going to tell the story exactly as it. And in my first draft, I do use real names. If I change names, we usually do that in the second or the third edit. Once I've got the book where I want it, I will say, I will send it out to everyone who's in it and tell them the page number they're on. And I say, do you want me to use your real name? Do you want a fake name? Do you want to pick your fake name? Or do you want me to pick your fake name? And everyone answers and tells me what they want. There are certain stories that are really painful that I choose to change the name. But even even like the hardest story I've ever written is in Let's All Be Brave. And I did not have to tell the person who was in it that they were in it. He would have never known. I promise he wasn't going to pick up the book and read it. But I knew it mattered to me that I didn't tell our story in that book without him knowing. And so I had to call and say, hey, I know we haven't talked in a bit. Can I talk about you in this new book? And um, and so that is, that's later. When you write that first draft, when I write my first draft, I am honest and open and I t- I say everything as if it's my journal, as if no one's going to see it. 
And then I think I'm going to get rid of 25% of this. And I actually honestly end up getting rid of probably 10. And that 15% is the magic sauce. That 15% that stays is the stuff that God really uses because you're open and you're honest and you're vulnerable. But the 10% you pull out, you should pull out because not everybody needs to know everything. And there are certain stories that aren't public. And there are people in my family and in my life that don't want to be in books. And so you pull out what you need to pull out and trust yourself. You just have to trust yourself, right? So when it gets hard, you just keep writing, trusting that even if nobody sees this first draft, you just keep writing. Just don't give up. Just don't give up on the story. I I remember when I was um, going through the first real rounds of edits with Perfectly Unique once it had been picked up by Zondervan. I was going through those first real rounds and I was in line with Andrew Peterson, who is one of my very favorite songwriters and book writers. He writes fiction novels that are incredible. And I was in line at Baja Burrito behind him. And we went to the same church at the time, so we knew who each other was. And I said, I kind of hate my book. And he was like, yeah, how far along are you in it? And I was like, well, the first draft's done. We're editing it. He goes, oh, yeah, of course you hate it. Yeah, that's totally normal. He said, quit it for three days. I was like, okay. And he goes, no, like, seriously, like, don't open it. Walk away. Don't do anything with it for three days. And if you still hate it after that, let's talk. And sure enough, by like day two and a half, I was wishing I could get into it. And he had said, no matter what, don't go back for three days. And I thought, yeah, you don't have to beg me. And then literally by day, by the mid afternoon of the third day, like the next morning, I would have been able to start on it. I was like chomping at the bit to work on this one part. And so I'd still do that for myself now when it feels really hard, like the project that comes out in October, that one I had turning in this first round of edits was really hard. It was a really hard edit for me. And I said to the editor, I need two weeks. I need, I need two weeks to not think about this book, to not care about this project, to not have any, not have my paws on it at all. And then we can go again. And I already feel myself wishing that we were, I was working on it. And I'm like, okay, great. I still have four more days until I'm working on it again. And so, so I think sometimes it's walking away and giving it a break and you trust God with your story and, and see what he does. Right. That sounds really cliche, but you know that that is my real life spot is I just have to trust God with my story and write what I'm supposed to write and delete what I'm supposed to delete and let him use editors and let him use friends and let him use people in my life that go, are you sure? Anytime someone says, are you sure you want to tell that? I make real sure I want to tell that because if someone says that, that means it reads really vulnerable or it reads too personal. And those are two different things. And I want my books to read vulnerable. I don't want them to read too personal. I think that's unfair. No one else signed up for this except me. And so um, so when it gets really hard, you keep writing and you trust your editors and you trust that God is doing something, even if you can't see it. I love that. Yeah, I just think that's so true that you, I, I hear it. I know it to be true of you, but I hear it in the way you describe everything. Like you just surround yourself with the people that are going to breathe life into what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's such a safety guard around your life and around your career and around your faith that you're just, you're not just willing to be vulnerable on paper. Like you're willing to take the paper and let real people talk to your face about it. Yeah. It's not fun, but it's good. Well, here's the thing. I like to write with a pen. Okay. But I always don't don't always have time to write with pens. Yeah, typing's better. So, fun fact for the world: Do you have a favorite kind of pen? <gasps> um, yes, I do have a favorite pen. Let me see if there's one even in our vicinity that I can read. Here's my here's my work bag right here beside us. In said work bag is a precise V five rolling ball extra fine. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is like quite a nice pen it um it's the rolling ball is the trick but i'm i mainly only use pen for journal because i type everything i'm writing for a book i I use pen for journaling oh that's not true because i do have a notebook that stays with me if i all the time whether i'm writing books or not that to kind of jot down book ideas or stories i don't want to forget so i keep those pens with me all the time for journaling for jotting and then for editing if i'm editing something i edit with a pink or a green. I'm weird, man. You're bringing yeah. out all this weird stuff I about know. me. I love <laughs> like, it. Yeah, no kidding, Downs. I see it. <laughs> I live with it. Um, so what does sound fun to you? 
today. Hang out. Today. Today, Annie, today in Atlanta, not in Nashville. You know, I wish I was going to the Braves game. I haven't been to the new stadium yet, and I love baseball. And you know, our pal, one of our Vandy boys, Dansby Swanson, plays shortstop, and it'd be fun to like see him in action and eat a pretzel, drink a Coke Icy. Man, what I could do to some Coke Icy's today? Pound them. I could pound some Coke Icy's today. I could. I would buy you a curly straw. Oh, that's so nice of you. <laughs> I would. What sounds fun to you today? Oh wow. That does sound really fun to me. I mean, who knows what's going to happen off air? I don't. Oh, what sounds fun to me today? I really would love to do Zumba tonight. Are you going to? I don't know. I might. Okay. Get your dance on, we'll girl. See. Yeah. Um, Eliza, before we go, will you do just a quick wrap about how everyone, if God's given them a story, they should tell it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what's so true about everyone's story and everyone's life is that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I, if I know one thing to be true this year, it's that our testimony, not just, I'm not even just being spiritual about it. Like your testimony about who you are and what you have experienced with your own eyes and your own life, what you've touched, what you've heard, what you've seen, that's what's true. That's mm-hmm. what you can actually hold on to. And so that's what has weight as you live your life. Yeah. And so whether you want to be a writer or an architect or a kindergarten teacher or an athlete, whatever you want to be, be true to that because that's going to be the testimony of, of what holds weight because mm-hmm. what you experience is going to be what you live. Mm-hmm. And so that is the highest thing I think we have responsibility to. Yeah. Is to good. say, what do I know holds weight and mm-hmm. how am I being true to that? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not true to that today, then I don't think what we're going to very alive. Yeah. That's beautiful. Will you also do an actual rap about writing books? <laughs> and that's a rap. Oh, my gosh. A rap. Yes. <laughs> but okay. that was really good. How but I, I also... should have. I thought you were, like, asking for some profound thing. No, but um, that was very profound. <laughs> but also, you're a freelance a rap. rapper. <clears throat> I am a The world needs to know that. Okay. I found a symbol. Oh, wow. She found a symbol. Oh, oh, wow, wow, wow. We're going to have an instrument. Okay. (laughs) I wish this was a video. Oh, it's about Um, to be on my Instagram story. So you just keep on keeping on. Riding, riding. That's what she does. In the day, in the night. That's all the buzz. Get her a pen or get her a diamond. Made of a keyboard. She's not lying. Riding, riding. Annie F. Downs. Read her books or you're going to make a frown. Wow. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that was all I could have hoped for. Plus, that was. I didn't even. You know were profound and you rapped. Thank you. And if anyone does want to buy Annie a diamond keyboard, <laughs> I will. Received. I'll receive it for her. <laughs> I will and use I'll give it, it to her. Eventually. But for we'll a share. while. Yeah. Shared rights. Custody. <laughs> yeah, we'll have shared custody of our diamond keyboard. I can need foster care. Yeah. Oh <laughs> well, thank you very much, Eliza. She did a beautiful job. That was surprisingly a little more difficult than I thought because I didn't like come up with all the answers ahead of time. I just really went for it in the moment. So that was a little bit harder, I thought. <laughs> Makes me want to give my guests a little more warning sometimes. But I hope that was helpful for you a little bit. I hope hearing one author's experience kind of helps you if you want to write a book or that's something you've ever thought about doing that this kind of gives you some of the basics of where to start. There are a lot of great resources online as well and great writers conferences you can attend that will be really helpful. So if you want more of those, we're going to put some more resources on my website, AnnieFDowns.com. And we will make those available to you. Some resources that have really helped me as I've grown as a writer. So we had a huge announcement this week that I'm so excited to tell you guys about. July 28th through 30th, we are hosting a That Sounds Fun weekend here in Nashville. We did it last year. It was incredibly fun. And a bunch of those friends are coming back and a bunch of y'all are going to show up and it is going to be incredibly fun. It's going to be the best. I cannot wait. I can tell you as one of the special guests, we're going to have multiple, but one of the special guests is Dave Barnes, who we all know and love. Incredible musician, hilarious dude. His podcast episode people adore. So he will be there. We're going to do Friday night, 
where we're doing a live podcast recording with Dave and a bunch of other special guests. Great dinner. We'll all be hanging together. Saturday morning, we're going to have brunch, do some fun stuff. Saturday night, we're all going to go to the Grand Ole Opry. And then Sunday, we'll all be at Cross Point Church together, and I will be preaching Sunday morning. So it is going to be an incredibly fun weekend, and I think you'll really love it. So make sure to go to AnnieFDowns.com and click on the That Sounds Fun Weekend banner if you'd be interested in coming. We only have 200 tickets, and we are already like uh, almost a third of the way sold. And so I do not want you to miss this. So make sure you go check out the That Sounds Fun weekend information for 2017 because I think you're going to want to be here. It is going to be a really, really, well, fun weekend. It's going to be incredible and we do not want you to miss it. So again, if you have more questions, just let us know. We'd love to keep talking about the process of this. If that is helpful or interesting to you guys, you can just email them to us, Annie at AnnieFDowns.com and we'll keep a running list. And if we get enough, that it warrants another episode, we are more than happy to do that so that you guys can kind of understand the process and what happens next before a project that comes out in October and then a new book that comes out next June. Hey, if you need to find me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find, as you know, AnnieFDowns.com across Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you need to find me, I'm Annie F. Downs. Hope you have a really great day. Thanks for joining us. Hey, if you know any friends who want to write books or have thought about writing books, why don't you share this episode with them and kind of help them get some of the basics and and how to get started. And whatever you're doing today, I hope you will make sure to make some time to do something that sounds fun to you. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for being here. Y'all are awesome. And I will see you next week.